Open up to Proverbs. Today we are diving into Proverbs. We're going to be here the rest of the week. Proverbs is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, I wished it had a bigger effect on me because then I would be wiser. But it's, it's, um, it's so good for you. It's good for me, but it's good for you. Solomon actually was writing it with you in mind. So there's a constant refrain here, my son, my son, my son, listen to my teaching. It's not that he doesn't want the ladies to listen, but he really had primarily, probably maybe his own son, but probably the next generation of men. And so you're going to notice a lot of advice more directed at guys at times, but it's, it's for everybody, and you'll see that. Uh, what he talks about is, is, it's really for everybody who's, I would say, like in the teen era. You're at a time where you're making big decisions in life. And how do you do that? And so one of the best things you can do is begin reading the Proverbs regularly. I had a really difficult challenge in my life at one point. And uh, me and my buddy, as we worked together, we basically read the proverb of the day. Like, okay, today is the, let me get the 27, thank you. So we, you'd read Proverbs 27 today. And tomorrow's the 28th. Guess which one you'd read? 28th. And we just did that for about six months. I mean, we weren't perfect, but we were pretty consistent when we worked. Boy, did it help. Boy, did it help. So I would recommend the Proverbs to you. The rest of this week, we're going to be in the Proverbs. Uh, I've read them a lot. I teach class on them. It's, I just love this book. So uh, today we're going to talk about temptation, but I want to do a quick pause, and I want to talk about something from yesterday. Uh, two things, really. I, I had a, f- a former student come up to me who's here today, and he said, man, I, I didn't know why I was so excited to hear you preach yesterday, and then I realized I was dying to hear you. Okay, you can groan. I, had to, I told him, okay, that was, okay. I, I feel like I'm responsible for that kind of humor in his life a little. Um, but the second thing is more serious. <clears throat> so some of you, uh, we talked about death, and I understand that some, uh, you're looking at that square in the eyes. Maybe you have a family member who's maybe going to pass away. Maybe you know someone who recently did. Uh, my wife and I walked a very hard road in 2019. She got diagnosed with cancer. She's alive. She survived. Um, I always have to do that because I don't say it right away. Everyone's like, it's like creepy. But she had a, a tumor that was so large in her chest that it was pushing her lung over to where it would only expand like 10% of its capacity. And that wrapped up around her aorta. That's like your big blood vessel. And we, it was weird symptoms. It's a long story. But as we began to walk that road where I was wondering, would my kids know their mom or just hear stories about their mom growing up? Uh, my friend and mentor sent me this psalm, Psalm 121. 121. I'm not going to take time to read it. I should, but I want to get through the text. But if you're struggling with death and wondering about death, read that psalm and just know that God never sleeps. He never slumbers. That means like not off on the job. He always sees you. Wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with when it, with that really difficult uh, issue of death, God sees you. And please understand, it's okay to look at death and not be super excited. Death is unnatural. We never should have died. We were designed to live forever with perfect harmony with our maker, and we sinned. And one day, if you're saved, you're going to get to live forever in perfect harmony like we should have from the beginning. And I hope this week you're seeing a picture of God 
That's a wonderful God. But I just want to toss that out. I wasn't planning on that, but I can't not say that. All right, back to the Proverbs. So today we're going to talk about temptation. And there's two, there's sort of two responses to, and I'm working this through here. There's two ways to think about temptation, like, as in like, what do you do? There is um, a positive way to address it, and then there is a negative way. Well, there's a, there's a active and, I don't know, it, it's positive and negative, but not negative, bad. So let me explain. Um, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a thin fellow. I, I, I heard the gasps of shock, I know. Thank you, thank you, yes. I have what I call a seminary physique. You know, sit here, write papers, and I got the, the extra to show for it. So at times I would have to lose weight or do a diet or something because it's getting too heavy and I gotta really focus on my weight. Uh, in high school, you're so nervous about everyone, and it's just your body like runs really fast, and so it's a little different, but you get older and you don't care, and then like, you know, you start eating too much. So if I'm trying not to eat my favorite, one of my favorite foods, donuts, and you put like the best donut in the world in front of me, and then you walk away, and you tell me that magically that donut will reappear if it's eaten, and no one would ever know you've eaten it, wow. I want to know, does it keep repeating? Because I'm going to eat like five. <laughs> but, but I've got a couple of ways I can think about it. Number one, I could say, you know what? The donut is going to taste great, but if I don't eat the donut, there's something better. Health, fitness, not feeling gross and lethargic and nasty all the time. Okay, That's like a positive way to look at the temptation and say, this, it's better over here. But sometimes when you're staring the temptation in the face, it doesn't really seem very effective. Because that donut is good. I know it's good. It's, I've had one before. It is right there. I know that's good, but this is good now. And so this kind of a positive uh, thinking biblically about the world and thinking about what's good and how God designed life to be and how that's, uh, that's not as good this can be, in the moment of temptation, um, a good thing for you to do, but sometimes you need the other side of the coin, and that's what Solomon's going to talk about today. So the negative is, if I eat that, I'm going to feel sick, even though I, I don't think I will. I'm going to put more pounds on. I'm going to probably get high blood pressure, cholesterol. I'm going to have all these kinds of health problems, not because I ate one donut, but because I have a life of habitual donut eating. And so, you know what? Do I want to be unhealthy and not be able to serve my family? Do I want to live with health problems? Now, do you see how this is like a negative motivation, like bad consequences? Over here, this is like a true reality motivation, like what's really, truly good. You need both, but today Solomon's mostly going to be over here with a kind of a warning for you. Now, it's a dose of reality, too, and you need that. And what I would say is that when you have these two options before you and there's a temptation in front of you, what you need is reality, and I think this one will serve you really well. But you don't only go here. You don't say no to sin just because it's going to wreck your life. You say no to sin because of that, and then when you step back, you immerse yourself in the scriptures that tell you about the God who's awesome. And then over time, that will change your desires for sin. So we're going to talk today mostly over here. 
And it's going to be a practical thing for you to think about when you face any kind of temptation, whatever it is, lying, cheating, stealing, lusting, uh, anger outbursts, what, whatever your temptation is, the sin that besets you, this can be maybe an antidote that you hadn't considered before. It can be very helpful. It's not the only side of the situation. Go to James, go to Galatians. There's New Testament examples that will talk about this too. But this is a good dose of reality that we need. So let's go ahead and uh, pray, and then we're going to read the section we're going to go through. Father, we love you. God, thank you for being kind to us. Thank you, Lord, that you've made an amazing earth an amazing universe. You've given us these crazily awesome bodies. You could have made food taste bland or bad, but necessary. But God, because you love us, you made food good. You made the world good. You made living good. We go through hard times. We face great difficulties, but God, you really have been good. And so today, Father, I pray that we would uh, soak in the scriptures, that we would take the good warning from Solomon that will help us as we walk the path of following you in righteousness. And Father, I pray again for those today who maybe don't know or maybe are, are not on the same page, Lord. They're, they're resisting this. Lord, I pray that they would see what the Bible offers. They would see that it's not like other books because the maker wrote it. And I pray, Lord, that it would do its work in their souls. Father, we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. All right, Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 8 and go all the way through to verse 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for their graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if a sinner entices you, do not consent. If they say, hey, come with us, Let's lie in wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent without any reason. <laughs> like Sheol, let us swallow them alive. And whole like those who go down to the pit. We will find precious goods. We'll fill our houses with loot and plunder. Come on, throw your money in. Throw your lot in among us. We'll all have one purse or one bank account. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So today you have a father and a mother appealing to their child. And so we're going to walk through, first turn, every day, every day, there we go, there we go. Turn the, the clicker on, okay. So we're going to have parents who are going to exhort, that means like urge, command with some authority to their child, stop, do, like don't do these things. So I want to just point out right away that um, if you're an arrogant youth, this is going to really be hard for you because you're going to have to listen to your parents. I would also say, though, that it's not just the parents here that I want you to think about. I don't want you to just think about your mom and your dad. Maybe your mom and dad aren't believers. Maybe they don't live for the Lord. <clears throat> I want you to think about your uh, biblical authorities, 
So what about your pastor? What about your youth pastor? What about your discipleship leader? What about anyone in your life who's biblically wise and is trying to shepherd you or to help you grow? If those people give you this kind of warning, you need to humble yourself and listen. You need to humble yourself and listen if you want to avoid everything he's going to be talking about. So the first appeal here is notice that it's both parents. Now this is what Hebrew poetry is like. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Notice, he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now again, that's those two lines, and the second line sort of seconds the idea. It's not that the father is the only one instructing that you need to listen to, and the mother, when she teaches, the main idea is not to forsake what she says. The idea is that whoever the authority is, your parents, your youth pastor, your youth leader, your counselor, if they give you instruction, you should listen and not forsake. You should listen and not run away from. This is hard. This is hard. Because I am an idiot. Like, I'm telling my kids to do things, and I know that they see my sinful faults. And so your pastor's not perfect, your parents aren't perfect, your youth leader, your counselor this week may not be perfect. I'm Not this week, of course. These counselors are perfect, okay. But other weeks of camp. And here's the thing. You can get really caught up in, yeah, I don't like them, or yeah, they don't understand, or whatever. But have you ever noticed that you can see someone's fault, even if you can't do better than them? Have you ever noticed that? I am not a quarterback. Again, my seminary physique, okay? But I can tell you when a quarterback does something wrong on Sunday. Like, it's not hard to see what another person does wrong. It's hard to do better than them. And so sometimes we're not perfect, but God has put biblically ordained authorities in your life to help you, to warn you, to instruct you, to help lead you in these years where you're growing in your maturity. So, I would say that the authority idea is something to be aware of. All right, so here's the argument. <clears throat> now notice, he does talk about the positive side of obeying, okay? The positive side of ignoring temptation. He says, hey, there's a benefit if you just ignore this temptation. There's, a, there's benefits. Now, how do we unpack this? Well, first of all, oops, sorry. First of all, you have, I, in your notes, I don't know if you have subpoints here, but let's talk about the garland, Okay, so it says in verse 9, for the teaching or the instruction of these biblical authorities in your life will be like a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. A garland is like leaves. You know, it's like a crown. It's like a tear. It's like something you put on your head. When you follow your biblical authorities' instructions, it's not like a magical crown appears on your head. This is not literal. So why does he say it's like a graceful garland? All right, I'm going to hold because this, the next metaphor is similar. Or a pendant around your neck. So like, why would you? Why is it like a pendant that you wear or a necklace or something? All right. Here's here's the thing. Today, if you go to church or you go to a business, uh, and there's certain dress codes. Sometimes you might wear like a tie. Okay, a tie. When I put a tie on, is it the purpose of me to cover the tie up so no one can see it? Well, no, it's like you wear it openly, right? Now, here's the, why the pendant thing is a little weird. When you wear a necklace, sometimes you tuck it under your shirt so no one can see it. In this day, the reason you would have put a necklace on is so everyone can see it. The reason you'd wear a garland is so everyone can see it. So the point here 
is if you listen to your parents, to your biblical authorities, to your pastor, and you walk in their instruction, it ends up being something that other people see. You don't have to walk up and be like, hey, I just want you to know I've been obeying my parents pretty faithfully for two years. It goes before you because now we're talking about your reputation. Remember yesterday with the reputation. So you should follow these instructions because it ends up doing something to your reputation. You become known like this. Now, some of you are known for not following biblical authority. You're the bad guy or the bad girl and you do what you're going to do. You could rebrand yourself. You could change your name, change your hairstyle. Like, hey, I'm a different person now. I'm not who I used to be. But really what you got to do is the hard work of consistently following the Lord. And over time, guess what's going to happen? People are going to notice that. And that's what Solomon's saying. Hey, if you follow, people are going to see this in your life. So that's a positive reinforcement here. So the point here is that wisdom, if you follow it, is something that's not hidden in your life. But people look at you and say, that person is wise. Not just like smart, but biblically wise. Do you want to have a wise reputation? Maybe another question you should ask right now is, what is your reputation? If you talk to someone, would they say you're kind, you're rude, you're nice, you're smart, you're a jerk. What is it? If you follow these instructions, eventually people are going to see, hey, you're, you're biblically wise. All right. So then in verse 10, he gives you this. He says, he gives you a, an imperative now, okay? You should not follow the sinners. It says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So now we have two extra characters. Over here, we have your parents or maybe your biblical authority saying, look, don't go down the road you're going down. But that's not the only voice in your life. Over here, you have sinners. Now, sinners is kind of a rude thing to say, right? Like just calling people sinners? Like aren't we all sinners? What it's saying is people who are going to engage in sin. These people over here are going to say, you should do what we're saying. You should follow us. So now the son has a dilemma. It's the same dilemma you have. Are you going to follow the Lord, obey God, or are you going to follow the way of the sinner and live in that way? Ask yourself right now, what if, if, I, if I were to come and look at your whole life, which path would I say you're on? Which path would I say you're on? Which path would your parents say you're on? Which path would your youth leader say you're on? You need to choose the correct path. Now let's talk about the gang's invitation. The gang's invitation. This is uh, fun. <laughs> if they say in verse 11, come with us, let us wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason, <clears throat> like Sheol, let's swallow them alive, and whole like the grave. Uh, throwing your lot among us, we will have one purse. Here's the whole offer. This is what they're asking them. So the, the plan here is to ambush people. Okay, So the plan is to ambush. These, these are literally highway robbers. So I'm going to... Remember how we talk about things we learn at camp that are kind of dumb and like, really, you came here? So I want here's a question. This is written in about 900 BC. Here's my question for you, pop quiz. Did they have streetlights? No, no electricity, right? Okay, so at night, have you ever been out at camp at night? Well, actually, you shouldn't be. Okay, you've been out at camp at night, right? And you know how dark it gets? Have you ever been outside in the dark during a power outage? It's like another level of dark. Now, some of you are from 
I'm a city kid, okay? So I don't know what you call it. The farm, the country, the sticks. You've, you're out of town. Can we say that? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I grew up in a I'm parents' basement, played video games my whole growing up. That's all I did, okay? So I don't know about cows and all that. Um, but I, I have been out to people's farms, or I've been outside the city, and there's no lights. And you know how dark it gets? And then when the stars are out, you can see the beauty of like creation. And there's a full moon, and it illuminates. But have you ever been outside on a cloudy night out of the city when there's no moon? You know how dark it is? Now, today, we've got flashlights, we've got headlights. That's not a problem. But you have to put yourself in the biblical character's context. If you wanted to go from one town to the other, you had to plan to travel during the day. At night, <clears throat> what are you going to do? You can have a torch, you can have a lantern, but that doesn't really do the same as a headlight. And if you forgot that stuff, oh man. Uh, anyone go to a cave, like a cave tour before? This always happens. Okay, okay. And so what are the, what's the main thing of a cave tour? They take you way down the cave, and then what's every single cave tour do? Someone say. They turn off the lights, and then you're like, my hand. I can't see my hand. This is so cool. And then what else do you do? You punch your buddy when he's not looking. Well, who did that? You know, and it's like this big fight, okay? Now, that's, imagine you're a merchant, okay? You're in Solomon's day. You've got a bunch of like, I don't know, what do we want to sell? What, what merchant thing should we be carrying? Candles. <laughs> spices? Okay, let's go over spices, okay. That's kind of Mediterranean. That kind of fits Mesopotamia. Okay, we'll go spices. And so you got a load of spices. Now, that's not that valuable to us, but back in that day, that would have been really, really expensive. Now, maybe you've sold some of them, and so you got a big bag of gold or money or whatever. And you wake up in the morning, and you know it takes a day to get to this other town, and you start early. And then about halfway through the day, your wagon wheel breaks, or your donkey needs a nap, whatever it is, I don't know. And you're like, ah, i got to get going. But you didn't bring torches because you knew you'd make it on time. And so finally the donkey wakes up, or you kick it enough, or whatever, I don't know. You, you fix the wagon wheel somehow, and so you keep going, but you can tell you're going to arrive way, like, middle of the night. Why would you be concerned? Tell me what your, your fears are. Bandits. Rocks. Wild animals. Yeah, thieves. Okay. You got this. This is great. You got, you got to figure it out. So here's the problem. If you want to get easy money... All you got to do is hide on a route where people constantly travel in the dark. You're not, they're not going to see you, and then you just jump out and ambush them. This is, he's literally describing what we call highway robbery. You're just a bandit, and you, you stay out there. So the appeal here, the plan that these sinners over here are presenting to the youth is, hey, you want to get rich fast? Come out with our gang. We're going to totally rob these people. We kill them. We, they don't, no one even knows. No one will ever find out, and we get rich. We take it to our house. Just put all your money together. It's no big deal. And so they're appealing for this great thing, okay? They're going to ambush. Their tactic, do I have all this? Their tactic is to murder. Their tactic is to murder. Have you ever heard someone talk about some sinful thing they're going to do? And they use like different words, like yeah, you know, maybe maybe you kick the tar out of someone. They're just they're beat up, they're bloodied. What happened? Yeah, I kind of got lost my temper a little. 
a little lost your, you beat the pulp out of that guy. But you kind of blunt it a little when you talk about it yourself. Or if you're like, dude, come on, we're going to go mess these people up. Mess them up? Really? Like, Like you mess up a puzzle or something? Or are you going to murder them? So we have this way of talking about sin where it's not that big of a deal. This passage is going to give you a solution to that. There are some sins that are in the Bible, but we don't talk about them with the biblical terms. We don't. Uh, I worked at a camp one time, a camp out east, and I was a unit leader, so I was kind of like a dean maybe. And I would go around to the different cabins and collect contraband. And these one group of teen guys, one of them had brought one of those old people canes. It's like got a horn on it and a little blinker and a reflector. But at the bottom, it had a rearview mirror that was probably at the top, but it had been moved to the bottom and it was facing up. Creepy. And so the dudes thought this was funny. I'm like, yeah, I got to take that. And they're like, what? What? It's nothing. And I'm like, that is, and then I'm not going to say it here, I described in very anatomical terms what they were going to do with it. And it's what they knew they were going to try to do with it. But when I used the words, they all got like, you're all a little uncomfortable now that I said that. You're like, uh, you know what? That's how the Bible wants you to talk about sin. Like, call it what it is. Because when you stare it in the face, you have to go, ah, that's sin. So what do they say? That we're going to go out and kill these people. What is killing? What is murder? It's sin. They're literally appealing to this guy to go out and do sins. Really, they really are. So you should call sin what it is and understand what it is. All right, next, their aim is robbery. They're going to steal. Okay, so we've got murder now. We've got theft. Uh, ambush, I don't know if you'd call that deceit or not. It's kind of deceptive, but I don't know if I'd say that. But we've got some pretty big sins going on here. What is it they want? If you're trying to murder and steal people's stuff, then you're, what desire are you satisfying? The desire for greed, like you want more things. You are not satisfied. You're not content with what you have. You want something that's not yours, and you're going to take it unlawfully. There's a whole host of motivational heart sins going on here. Are they saying that? No. They're saying, hey, this will be great. Come with us. And so then, how do you get into the club? Well, you got to give them all your money. So now it's like a multi-level marketing. No, I'm just, it's, it, it's like a, a, a scam. Like, give us your money. We'll put all the money in a purse. And then anything you need, you just come and take it. This literally happens today in real gangs. You put your money in, and then everyone gets access to it. But oddly enough, only certain people get the most access to it. So it's a bad deal. Why would this youth maybe be interested in following these sinners? It could be a sense of community. Hey, there's these people. We're all going to share a bank account. It's like we'd be a big family. Okay, That might be appeal that you think, oh, that would satisfy me. You can have money. Man, money, I just need money right now. Oh, that would be awesome. Really good money. What if you're a really angry person? You're just boiling all the time. And you just want to brawl. Oh, I'll go and I'll get to fight. This is the appeal of the sinners. Have you ever met a sinner who is about to go do something sinful and says, oh, I'm going to go do, you shouldn't do this though. I'm going to sin, this is actually wrong, condemn me to hell, but you should just stay back and not do this. Does that ever happen? No, actually, if they're going, they always invite you along. Why is that? 
Just write in your notes Romans chapter 1, verse 30, 31, and 32. Romans chapter 1, verse 30, 31, 32. People who know God exists, which is every human who's ever existed, don't want God to exist because then they have to be submissive to their maker. And so they shove that knowledge down with sin, and in the end, they go look for other people who are sinning or other people to join them, and they approve of it. They want strength in numbers because they want to feel okay about what they're doing. It's easy for a sinner to say, come with me. There's no cost for them to invite you along. There's a huge cost for you. So here's the gang's invitation. Now the, the teenager is a big problem. Which one am I going to do? Am I going to obey my parents or am I going to go with these sinners? How are they trying to attract you to this? You get rich. You get all these things you want. So notice that the appeal here is something that you desire. Can we go back to the donut illustration? I love donuts so much. I'm also not super picky about donuts. Casey's donuts, the blueberry ones. Sorry, Brandon Fritz, could you just plug your ears? There's going to be a lot of sugar talk here. Brandon's a very healthy guy. Yeah, so I love donuts. I love any donuts. Eat my, one of my favorites is maybe not what you think. It's the kind you get out of the vending machine, the plastic donuts. Okay. You know what I'm talking about, the chocolate ones that like you take a bite and then you can dunk it and the plastic shell, which looks like chocolate, but it's plastic, will like hold the milk in that little, they're great. At the job I worked at, we would buy plastic donuts all the, I'm pretty sure it's still coating my insides. It's, any fans of the little chocolate donuts? Okay, see, I'm telling you, I am, I love all donuts, like super gourmet little ones. Here's the thing, when I look at the donut, what does the donut promise me? What does it sell itself to me with? Happiness, pleasure, good taste, and most of all, and this is what you need to pay attention to at your age especially, satisfaction. If you eat this, you'll be satisfied. I'm telling you, that's what they're offering this team. Come with us, you'll have money, independence, you can do whatever you want, you'll finally be happy. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be satisfied? This is how sin tries to sell itself on you. Sin never says, hey, this is what I really am, but you should come along. It always says, this is what I'm promising you, and it will never, ever deliver that. It'll never, ever deliver. It always promises what it can never deliver. So the teen, the young man, the young woman has a dilemma now. Do I do what my parents say? Or do I go along with the bandits and make my life really good? The father now warns the son. And this is where you could take away some very practical steps when you face temptation. I think that in the moment, this is a really good option. It's not the only option. And it's an option that at times seems like it's not connected to the heart motivations. I don't think that's true. I think it's like wake-up reality moment. And so you might need this. So how does the father warn his son? First of all, it is a strong warning. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold your foot back from their path. So he's very strongly worded here. He is not like, yeah, maybe, I think you should maybe. He's not like PC at all, politically correct or calm or gentle. He's like, this is a strong warning. Don't do that. This is a course of life warning, notice. It's not like just don't go out and rob someone. Do you notice that? He says, don't go back with them. Hold your feet back from their path. 
So one of the things that you need to consider is what path are you on? What path are you on? Does the path that you walk, is it filled with sinners? Is it filled with people going the way of the world, living for what they want? If you are on that path, something you need to think about this week is to get off that path. It will kill you. Maybe not right now, but one day. That's the warning he's going to give. Very strong warning. Here's his argument, though. Um, Actually, let me say one more thing. This is also why your friends that you choose right now, are it's really critical. I... So I grew up uh, not really having a good youth group that I was connected to. How many of you did a wanna when you were little? Okay, Kids for Truth. Okay, so those things where you memorize scripture, I didn't do any of that. I like went one time to an Awana and it was weird. But when I got into seventh, no offense to Awana people, sorry. I just, I was little and I didn't know any better. Now I love, I would, so good. When I, no seriously, like you're, all you're doing is memorizing scripture and playing Steal the Bacon or whatever the game thing is. Like, that's awesome. And you're, you're internalizing God's word. What? See, and you get donuts in Awana? Did you just say that? Can I be in Awana now? <laughs> Is 42 too old to be in Awana? Okay. <laughs> I'm totally lost. <laughs> um, okay, so seventh grade, we moved to a new church, and here's this group of friends who's, they kind of, they're not perfect, but they love the Lord, and they're trying to grow, and they weren't trying to influence me to do stupid stuff. Well, okay, hold on. Not uh, sinful, stupid stuff. We did stupid things, but not like go rob a bank and kill people, okay? Not do drugs. It was more like have fun, but let's like follow the Lord. And I remember my path, my life took a distinct turn, not because of me, because I was surrounded with people who all were committed to following the Lord, imperfectly, not the best. We messed up. I mean, it, but but we were trying to follow the Lord. I had other friends who didn't get in good with the crowd at church, and they ended up getting in good with their sport team or their other friends at school. And you could see the two paths. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't the next day. But over time, you saw it. You saw it. And so I'm, I would urge you to consider your friend group this week. Who are you around? Who's influencing you? Who's appealing to you in your everyday life? That's a really critical question to ask. All right, now we'll move on. Here's his argument to his son. If he's going to warn his son, don't give in to the temptation, here's how he argues it. Look at verse 16. He says, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. Do you notice what he just said there? He's like, hey, son, wake up. They're asking you to go do evil. They're asking you to go murder. He calls sin what it is. And he says, do you understand that's what they're going to do? You're saying it's fun. They're asking you to go sin. He calls it out what it is. He says, this is sin. So his argument is that it's sin. Why would you go and purposely hang with people who are going to ask you to go and sin with them? Why are you doing that, son? Again, this is calling it what it is. Now he does this really great, really great analogy. It's like a hidden trap. So in verse 17, he says, it sounds like an aside, like, for in vain is a net spread in front of any bird. Why is it vain to set up a net while a bird watches? Like, someone help me. I'm really, really confused. Why is that? Why is that important? Yeah, the bird sees what you're doing, right? Like, the bird sees you put the net up, and then you back up, and you're like, okay, fly into it. 
Who's stupider, me or the bird at that point? This, I don't know, when I grew up, this is a, a, a put down, a whatever. I don't know, if, do you ever call people bird brains? Like that was a big thing when I was like in elementary school, you bird brain. Why, because birds are stupid. <laughs> birds are dumb. But do you understand that Solomon is saying even a bird, if it sees the trap, has enough sense to be like, I'm not going to do that, peck, peck. I'm not going to do that, peck, peck, and then go the other way. Literally. Like, think about that. So this is, it's like Solomon's getting kind of cheeky here. Hey, son, do you understand that even a bird could see a trap coming a mile away and not jump into it? He's like in a backhanded way saying, son, you're kind of being dumb. I don't know. If, okay, he's, maybe he's not. But that's how it comes off to me. Have you ever had a friend who's going down a path that's going to wreck their life? You've appealed to them, and they keep going? And you sit back, and you're like, man, that is, that is such a waste. They're destroying their life. They're being so, you don't mean this is a, like slander, but they're being so dumb. They're being so stupid. They're just making a horrible decision. Solomon's dad is saying, even birds are dumb enough. But dumb as they are, can see a trap? What about you? Do you see the path that you're on and do you see the trap that's set for you? Do you see that? Or are you dumber than a bird when it comes to that part of your life? I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to slander you. I'm trying to say the Bible is saying like you don't have to be smarter than a bird. Like you should be smarter than a bird, but you're acting like you're not. And then he says, the point here is that a bird is actually being smaller than, or smarter than you. And the genius of the argument is this. Look in verse 18. He says, But these men lie in wait to shed their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. What does it mean you set an ambush for your own life? Okay, again, let's go back to the 900s BC. And here you are, you're a gang, and you're hiding in the bushes, okay? This is kind of hard, but I'll, okay, here's the bushes, okay, I'm hiding. And here comes a cart. It's a big cart. It's pulled by two horses. Yes, this is the mother load. We're going to get it. Now, to be hidden, you kind of have to hide down so you can't see well. And it's dark, okay, so you can't really tell, but you, it's a big one. you got like four guys, and you're pretty strapping young lads. Okay, you're like hiding there. And it comes out, and you jump out to attack. And as you stab, you notice that your knife goes, chink. And you look a little closer in the dark, and the person's wearing shiny clothes. Why, why, is, why is a tunic shining? Oh, that's a Roman soldier. And you realize you've mobbed a Roman soldier's like, what is going to happen? Oh, not Roman, sorry, this would have been way earlier. Uh, <laughs> an Assyrian soldier, or just dudes who are really bigger than you. What's going to happen right then? You're going to get arrested. You're going to be taken to the next town, put into a court. They're going to put you in prison and give you three meals a day, and then they're going to put you on trial, right, right? Right? No. This is 900 BC. You get killed. They kill you, and they don't even care, because you're the one who attacked them. There are people who do stupid things, and it ends up killing them. Um, I remember this is what, like yesterday we talked about death and how that has an effect. There's a time where a person on my baseball team, years, like, he'd been on my baseball team two or three years before that, he had a Kawasaki Ninja. Anyone know what that is? It's a really fast motorcycle, okay? And he had been at a party. I think this is our junior or senior year. Uh, and he'd been drinking, so he was like a little drunk. And his buddy was riding it with him. 
And they go down this street, 25 mile an hour speed limit. It's a huge hill. We used to ride our bikes down it. Oh, it's fast. Um, and so the car, there's a little cross street at the bottom, and there's a lot of trees, okay? So you're kind of going down this like big old tunnel. And so a van pulls out, looks, and sees this motorcycle way up the hill. Okay, so it's going to be a while. So they go to pull out, but they didn't judge the speed correctly. So this guy, hey, let's go to a party, man. Hey, it'll be fun, blah, blah, blah. Whatever it was that made him go to the party and get drunk, he's like, this is going to be great. I'm going to drive when I'm a little tipsy. Hey, no big deal. He goes down the hill, T-bones the van, dies instantly. The guy riding with him gets thrown 60 feet in the air, and lands and survives. As he goes over the van, his shoulder clips it. When he lands and they find him, his shoulder is completely detached except for a piece of chunk of skin like that big. Now, I'm not trying to put the guy up and make fun of him. I'm not trying to say, like, I'm better. I'm not doing any of that. I'm simply saying he thought it'd be fun to go to a party, maybe hook up, maybe drink a little, when every warning in life says you shouldn't do that. Now, sometimes you do something and you get away with it, but Solomon is saying there are paths of sin that you walk down that will literally kill you. And it's one thing to die in this life. It's the next thing to face eternal death, like we talked about last night. This is a really strong warning. A really strong warning. The genius of the Father's argument in verse 18 is that he doesn't say, don't do this, he could, because it's a moral offense against God. That would have been perfectly appropriate. The genius is he says, son, don't think about right now. Where will that take you in the future? It's a future, it's a future-looking warning. Now, remember yesterday in Ecclesiastes, what did 7-2 say? Better to go into the house of mourning. The funeral, why? That is the end of all mankind. So thinking about where your life's going to end is really important. Now, we'll go really quick here. The high cost of foolishness. I think I have these flipped on your notes. I apologize. The first half of 19 is a broad warning. Broad warning. It says, such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. So there's a way to be greedy that leads you down the path of doing wrong things. But then here's the high stakes of being a fool. It takes away the life of its possessors. What I want you to hear today is this warning. So I know what your donut is. Okay, I know what the donut is in your life right now. Is it something immoral? Is it something unethical? Is it just rebellion against your church, your parents, whatever? Is it, I'm not going to become a Christian. I'm not going to submit to this God. I'm going to do what I want. Okay? Eternal rebellion. Whatever it is, believe me, you read this book, you get to know people who walk with the Lord, you come to know the Lord, and there's a really good reason to deny yourself this this pleasure, whatever it is you desire, because this over here is better. Knowing the Lord is awesome. Like, you don't do some things, but it's not like you miss out. It's so great. But there's another side to this warning that Solomon's trying to get at. Do you really want to eat the donut if it's going to cost you your life? And sometimes you eat the donut, but you don't die for 15 years. So what's your donut? Like, what is the donut in your life that's calling to you? 
It's promising you satisfaction. It's promising you wholeness and happiness. It's promising you a sort of salvation. What is it that's promising that? Will it really deliver? Will it really give you what you think? Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I pray today, Lord, that we would think rightly, God, about these temptations. Both why we shouldn't, because it's better, it's better, God, to live with you and to follow you. But God, Scripture strongly warns us of the high cost of giving in to sinful temptation. Lord, I pray that the warning today would do its work in our lives, in our hearts, and in our souls. Father, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.